I mean, at every stage of the parenting journey, we're kind of confronted with ourselves, right? It's like trying to get pregnant. Oh my God. And then realizing, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. And then getting pregnant and you're like, oh my God. And now I feel, oh, I wasn't expecting to feel all these things, by the way, you know, like, oh my gosh, pregnancy is not so lovely all the time. Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Maria. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy and through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the answers to the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. And welcome to the show. Hey, Maria. Shelly. How did you survive the cold snap? You have a wood stove, right? I do have a wood stove. I didn't leave my house. Mm -hmm. I just stayed home with the wood stove. Our pipes froze. Oh, a lot of people's pipes froze. Yep. We had like our heat cranked up, but it didn't get warmer than 55 inside the house. No kidding. Yeah. And I was, something's wrong with the heat, I think. because that's not right. I know. I had it cranked up to like 73. At one point, it went up to 58, but it was just not coming up. And John went and got wood and we built a fire in the fireplace. It's not as good as like a wood stove, but... No, but it's something. And then both of our, I think it got so cold that the motors for the garage door like froze or something and they're still not opening. (laughs) They're just like frozen shut. Oh, man. That's been fun. Yeah. Sounds exciting. No, we managed to get through it. I left the water running all night. I left the mm-hmm. taps dripping mm-hmm. and the stove going and I turned the electric heater on in the kitchen because we've had our pipes freeze a couple of times, but I really did want to, excuse me, I didn't really want to deal with that at all. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. No. Um, so yes, I enjoyed my wood stove all day long and into the night. Well, good thing it's warmer today. Uh, a nice and warm, toasty 35 degrees. <laughs> it was, it got up into the forties at my house today. Down nice. like shorts weather practically. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of you? Do you know what enneagrams are? No. So enneagrams, it's like a test that you take, and there's like nine different personality types in the world, and you can find out which one your personality is, and it's based in like psychology and stuff. Interesting. Anyways, I'm a type three. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know too much about it. I definitely have to like dive a little deeper, but people who are type three tend, they find their value in their accomplishments Mm. and their productivity, right? So they tend to be people who worked really hard to get good grades. And then when they get older, they tend to overwork and not have enough life work balance. Don't look at me like that. (laughs) I would never look at you like that. So, and, but what was interesting is... This week, we're talking with Erin from Wholeness at Work, and she actually is an expert on the Enneagrams and how it can help you as a parent, parent your your child. It's like another parenting tool, kind of like the love languages, kind of almost, you know. Interesting. So that's what we're going to be talking about this week. Okay. But first, did you hear what the State Department did? No. (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid to know. (laughs) This made me so mad. They banned breast pumps for in diplomatic offices and buildings abroad. So like if you work Why are we gonna sneak a bomb in through our breast pumps? I guess. I guess. Oh my god. 
Diplomats who are nursing have been arbitrarily blocked from bringing electric breast pumps into U.S. embassies around the world, sparking internal blowback at the State Department and criticism that has fallen far behind the times on accommodating working parents. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Way to step a, take a step back, America. <laughs> the article says that they banned the breast pump because they are considered personal electronic devices and thus not allowed in secure government facilities, which is like, what are they afraid you're going to take pictures of secret documents with your breast pump? Like, I don't. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Oh, that you know, it was a man that wrote that. <laughs> so that's an issue. And hopefully that can be resolved soon. Can't even with this country sometimes. I know. Right. Let's do our question of the week. Yes, let's please. This week's question is, my baby has started sleeping through the night. Do I have to get up and pump? I have been waking up really engorged. Mm. Congratulations on getting that full night's sleep, by the way. Mm -hmm. My first thought is like, if you're uncomfortable in the middle of the night, and you want to get up and relieve your fullness without necessarily emptying your breast, then yes. Right. The tricky part, the tricky slippery slope part of this being that if you get up to every night consistently to prevent being overly full in the morning, you're just going to continue to have that fullness. So you're just sort of in a feedback loop where you're mm -hmm. overly full. So you pump, but you're pumping because you're overly full and yeah, the cycle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, after a few days of doing that, though, of just, you know, getting up to relieve some of the fullness without like fully emptying your breast, your body will start to decrease your supply around that time naturally. Mm -hmm. So you won't be waking up so extra full in the morning. Right. Your supply will kind of downregulate yeah. what your baby's eating. You know, sometimes even just throwing a haka on for a couple minutes or yeah. doing some hand expression just to make your breasts like tall. You don't want to drain them, but make it tolerable so you can go back to sleep. I This is one scenario where I did find my hand pump to be really useful. That's true. Hand pump as well. Yeah. The hand pumps, they're not as stimulating, number one, because it's a hand pump. It's not an electric pump. Mm -hmm. um, and they tend to be a little bit gentler. So like uh, getting up at 3 a.m. to use a manual pump is usually a lot less intense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can keep it right on your nightstand. Mm -hmm. Sit up, pump a few minutes till you feel like you can go back to sleep. Yep. And if you are like full, but not uncomfortably full, you don't even have to do that. Just kind of go back to sleep and wait. With a towel on you, maybe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used to have to sleep on a towel all the time. Oh, I did too. I, cause yes, I was so enormously full and that was when Morgan fed the best and she would always overfeed and then chuck up like so much. I would just be drenched. She's like refund. <laughs> it got, it got to a point where Dan would just hear it. He wouldn't even open his eyes. He would hear it. He would get up, grab a towel, put it on me or wherever happened and then like roll over and go back to sleep. I will say by the time I had my third baby, if they like spit up or peed, like their diaper leaked, I would just throw a towel <laughs> over and deal with it in the morning. You know, with your first, yeah. you like get up and you strip the bed down and you make oh, yeah. everything perfect and comfortable. Yeah. And by the time you're just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Just sleep in your baby juices. It's yeah. fine. <laughs> I'm sure you've slept in worse. Yeah. I mean, you only eventually get to take a shower again. It's okay. Yeah. Someday. Someday. 
<laughs> so that was a great question. And if you want to submit a question for us to answer, you can do so through DM on Instagram at Shelly Taft IBCLC. And next up, we'll be speaking with Erin. So I am a huge fan of tools that will help us parent our kids in a way that is easier for us or in a way that makes things a little bit more smoother. And I have been reading a lot about Enneagrams and how it can help with parenting. And for this week, I decided to bring in an expert on Enneagrams, Erin Rocchio. So for 15 years, Erin has worked with executives across industries to find a sweet spot between business results and personal meaning. She designs and delivers transformational leader, team, and organizational development in line with the business strategy. Released in 2020, Erin's inaugural publication, Wholeness at Work, Free Yourself from Burnout for Good, addresses the science behind workplace burnout. She explores the symptoms, sources, and solutions across three levels, individual, relational, and systemic. Her roadmap to wholeness supports leaders in finding a lifelong path to sustainable well-being in their work. Erin is a partner at Evolution, Silicon Valley's premier coaching, consulting, and investment firm that partners with startup and high-growth companies to drive long-term holistic success through developing leadership, alignment, and culture. Evolution works exclusively with companies to strive to be iconic, world-enriching, evolutionary businesses. Erin earned a Bachelor of Science in Education and Social Policy from Northwestern University and a Master of Science of Positive Organization Development and Change from Case Western Reserves University's Weatherhead School of Management. She is a Certified Integral Professional Coach with Integral Coaching Canada and a Senior Member of the Enneagram and Business Network. Erin is an avid fan of mindfulness and self-compassion meditation and enjoys her free time with her family and two young daughters discovering the wonders of, of their beloved San Diego community. Welcome, Erin. How are you? Good morning. How are you? Good. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. My name is Erin Rocchio and I'm from San Diego, California. I'm an executive coach and partner at Evolution. Um, we're a boutique coaching business servicing high growth startups, primarily in Silicon Valley, but really worldwide. And I've been doing this about 15 years. And I also have two little girls. And this conversation today around the Enneagram, around personal development is really important to me professionally, but also personally. So I'm excited to dig in and see how we can make it relevant for your audience. So what is an Enneagram for those who don't know? Yeah, it's so funny. A lot of people in my life have been asking because it's getting more and more popular. You know, there's like TikToks about it and on Instagram and all of this. Enneagram is a personality system that's actually been around for thousands of years, which is pretty fascinating. So you can find roots of it way back in pretty much every major spiritual tradition. There's glimpses of the Enneagram symbol. And the symbol reflects the fact that there are nine personality types on the planet and that we all come with one personality type that is dominant. We have all of them within us, but that one tends to be dominant from the moment we're born. And that by the time we're five or so, that gets solidified into our personality structure. And so the Enneagram is the system itself, the kind of the tool, rather the, the framework, less the survey that everybody thinks about. So the surveys are great and the, you know, the quick little online tools, whatever, help us access it. But actually, the real way to find out what your Enneagram type is, is through reading, working with a coach, self-inquiry. Surveys are useful, but they're not 100%. So we like to validate. 
So it sounds like the surveys and the little tests you can take are more of like a starting point. They are. And then if you want to go more in depth, you need to work with someone who understands how it works. Yeah. Or also through, I'm a big believer in self-study. And so you can also just completely go down the kind of research rabbit hole and dive into it for yourself. You don't necessarily need a coach, but it is helpful to have someone translate for you. And do you know like the history, like who developed the framework that you're talking about? Yeah. So the modern structure of the Enneagram personality system came through into the US from South America in the 1970s and from a guy named Icazo, if I'm not pronouncing that properly, I'm sure, but came into California and then started using it more in spiritual and personal development realms. Education used it a bit. And then starting in the early 2000s, the Enneagram Institute developed a statistically validated survey called the Ready. And that's the one that you can go on their website. That's the one I use in my practice that we use on our team with our clients. And it's spelled R-H-E-T-I. And that's statistically validated as a predictor of personality. So you can take that test. I don't, there's a lot of free versions floating around. I don't think, you know, I'm not a huge believer in them, (laughs) but they're helpful, you know, if you want. But I, I do endorse the Enneagram Institute one because of its validity. But again, the system and the framework of the Enneagram has been around really for thousands of years, which is pretty fascinating. And I know we're not here to talk about all of the roots today, but you know, it is an, a really cool thing that we could nerd out on if you wanted to. I definitely do. I think that's fascinating too. Can you give like an example of where it's seen in history? Where it is seen in history? I do know that in Christianity and Judaism and in Islam, on the mystical side of those religions, you can find traces of the Enneagram, both the symbol and references to it. And so we know that people have been using it and talking about it in terms of their own development and understanding our humanity for a long time. And then I think around the 70s, we have some teachers starting to really put some frameworks around it and more language around it and translate some of these older texts. So my teacher is a woman named Ginger Lapid Bogda. She's phenomenal. And she runs the Enneagram and Business Network, which is a global organization of practitioners like myself. I'm a senior member there. And essentially, She's put together a lot of the most recent, I'd say there's probably five teachers that I think are really powerful current teachers of the Enneagram. She's one of them. The work I've done with her is specifically taking the Enneagram and looking at it in a business context. So it's a little bit more pragmatic. It's less kind of psychologically intense. You know, when you've got a team, let's say in your workplace for an hour, you can't really go into all pathology of each of the types, but we can keep it really practical. And it's still incredibly valuable using it in that way. And then I know people in the church community who use Enneagram a lot for their own spiritual development. I know there are teachers that use it in education to help with self-awareness, to help with conflict resolution. And then I do a lot of work with healthcare leaders, and we use it a ton in that setting, in the healthcare setting as well. So when you say that people use it for like personal development or for, you know, a business setting or a healthcare setting, how does that work? Like, what is the benefit of knowing which one you are? Yeah, really good question. So the way the Enneagram operates is it essentially gives us a window into kind of unconscious, automatic ways that we're going to react to something. It's It gives us access to the way we view the world, the way we process things, think about things without a lot of awareness. Like there's an operating system happening and it gives us insight into what that is. 
That way, once we understand the operating system, then we can have some choice about how we want to respond in any given situation. Most of us don't understand the mechanism that's really running the show in our brain. So it gives us really powerful tools for understanding ourselves. And then in work, healthcare, education, and all of these domains, there's so much research today about how vital self-awareness and emotional intelligence are for your long-term success. And one of the things I'll say often is there's lots of great tools out there. So I don't want people to get attached to like, this is the be all end all tool or system. It is my favorite because it's so dynamic and there's a lot of depth to it and it's all developmentally focused. And what I mean by that is, you know, you could have a coaching conversation with someone and say, okay, I'm an Enneagram too. Cool. Unlike other tools where they just say, here's a report, go memorize this and then have people figure out how to work with you or communicate with you. The Enneagram's got so many different layers and so much dynamic like nuance. I can explain some of that today that you can really learn about yourself over the course of your whole life. And there's always new stuff to uncover. And so that's really helpful, especially if we're working on a team in any context. It's really powerful as a parent when we're under stress, like all the time (laughs) and understanding, you know, what's going to cause us to feel pressured, how we react under pressure and that sort of thing and how we can get ourselves back to a place of feeling secure. So it shows up and has so much use. I use it a lot one-on-one and then a lot in groups. So it sounds like it's, it's kind of like a guide on how things might impact you or how you might react to certain things. Either in your personal life or business life or whatnot. Totally. It looks at you as a whole person. So it's Mm -hmm. like whatever your type is, that those patterns and habits are going to show up wherever you are. And so it yeah, it's apps. I love your phrase. It's like a map to yourself. Understand, oh, this is going to help me feel really good and productive. And this is probably going to send me down a spiral. I need to be mindful (laughs) before I go down that path of stress response that I can kind of pause and stop, go, what is another way? What's another alternative versus just my automatic habitual reaction? And so like for my type, for example, I'm a type three, which is the achiever. When we get stressed out, we get, generally speaking, can get really into hyperactivity, hit the goal, move, 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 and like disconnect from ourselves. And then especially if we're upset with someone, we just cut them off. Like you're in my way. (laughs) You're not going fast enough. Move over. And it's not great for our relationships. It's great. Really bad. You're laughing. Are you are you my type two? I am a type three. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just laughing because that's like one of the things that my husband kind of complains about with me. Even if we're just like walking in the grocery store, it's like if I have someone slow walking, I get like irrationally angry and annoyed by (laughs) it. And I just like and like cut and speed by them and like shoot them a dirty look. And my husband's like, what is your problem? They're just trying to grocery <laughs> shop like you are. And in my head, I'm like, but I'm in my, you're in my way. Yeah. I want to come into the grocery store, bam, 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 get it all done and get Efficiency. out so I can get to the next thing. <laughs> Efficiency. That is our language. Yes. That is yeah. our love language. Isn't it funny? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm only laughing because I do the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. It's very predictable. And so, you know, knowing this about ourselves, right? We can go, oh, look at that. You know, maybe it's not the other person's fault that they want to like enjoy and saunter in the grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> or see look at the labels. Like yeah. another way. And so that's another thing. Here's the other thing I really love about the Enneagram. Besides the self-awareness piece we're talking about, in the past, I would look at that person in my way in the grocery store and go, what the heck is wrong with you? 
Like, why aren't you faster? You know, and I would judge them. And then that would be, obviously, it's not a kind way of being, but it also Mm. would cut me off from people that were important to me. And so knowing how other people are wired, even if I haven't, even if they've never taken the test or whatever, I know that there's eight other ways of living in this world. And I can go, okay, maybe X, Y, Z is going on. It gives me a lot more compassion and understanding instead of walking around, like wondering why everyone isn't just like me. Right. I think that's the part that I need to work on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like kind of, I, which I do better at than I used to. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's like, you know what? Yeah. And this person isn't aware that I'm in a rush and like trying to get things done. They're just trying to do their grocery shopping. They're not doing anything wrong. I had my teacher, Ginger, gave me a homework assignment as a three. And she said, your one job is to walk as slow as possible for like a whole day. It was torture. (laughs) But it was good because it helped me realize so much of my stress. I call it self-inflicted pain. Like I'm putting all this pressure on myself. No one's making me work this hard, Mm -hmm. you know? And then it can kind of give, it helps give me a little bit of a check. Like, oh yeah, Aaron, you can take a deep breath calm down, slow down. And then this is another thing I talk about a lot in my work is it leads to cycles of burnout. Like if we're not conscious of these stress patterns, we're going to get completely looped in and go, oh my God, I'm here I am again. Why am I burnt out again? Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter how wonderful your work environment is or whatever the environment is, but you're going to, there are patterns to our behavior that we are in control of. Most of the time are not aware. Right. Yeah. Like type threes tend to be workaholics or described as workaholics. And that is totally me. And I'm working with like a stress coach nice, who is helping me with that. But since I started working with her, you know, I don't work seven days a week now. I work six days a week. And then, (laughs) and then every other Saturday I take off and progress. But like one of the things she made me do is like, as soon as it hits 8 PM, you stop working Mm-hmm. because I used to just work until like 9 or 10 p.m. and then go straight to bed and then get up at like 5 a.m. and start working again right away. And part of that is that I own my own business. And you know, as a business owner, that when you own your own business, like the the workload can be unavoidably tough sometimes. You wear all the hats. Right. Yeah. But, you know, I think I got... The reason why I started working with her is my kids started complaining they don't know what I look like anymore. <laughs> Oh, and it's not even that I have to work that hard. I just tend to, and I'm not sure why. Well, here's why for a three in general, and you know, I'll see if this is true for you, but we derive so much of our self-worth from what we produce. Mm. And so there's a saying, you know, we're only as good as our last performance. So like I could go, you know, you and I could go do the world's best, whatever. We'd wake up the next day and go, okay, I got to do it again. Because if I'm not producing or performing or achieving something, what good am I? Yeah. That's what the Enneagram kind of ego structure is what we call it. That's its MO. If you're not aware of that ego structure, it's going to operate you until you die. Mm -hmm. And what our hope is with all of this development work is to say that we're not going to change that ego structure per se. Like it's still going to be there. I've been working with it for a long time and it's still there. But now I've got a little bit more space around it. So I can go, oh, there it goes again. Mm. And I can go, huh, I actually want to clock out at three o'clock today and take a nap. What a concept for a type three. Right. And, you know, and then by the way, I can be like better for my kids and better for my clients. Mm -hmm. So that's the hope with all of this is 
There's nothing wrong with you. This is exactly how your type is designed to operate. We just want to get a little more flexibility and space for you to choose. Right. Yeah. Yep. Then that's something that... I'm glad you're working with a coach. That's amazing. Yeah. And she's not like, she's like a health and nutrition coach that just happened to specialize in like women over 35 who are stressed. Um, like all of us? Do... Yeah. <laughs> But that was one of the breakthroughs that we had because I forget what it was, but I, she's like, well, why are you afraid to stop doing whatever it was like this task? And I was like, because then it wouldn't get done. And then she's like, and then what? And then she gets just saying, and then what? And and I was so annoyed. And then, (laughs) and then I was finally like, because then I'll be a failure. And she's like, well, who said that? (laughs) Like, and I was like, oh, okay. Ding, ding. Maybe yeah. Not. Good. I know that there it's like the Enneagrams are very in depth, but is there like a quick summary of each personality type you can give? Yeah. I mean, I can do it quickly for you. So, mm-hmm. and then I'll talk briefly about some of the different nuances. So, you know, it's called wings and arrows and subtypes, and there's all these other things we could get into. So the type one in general is called, some teachers call it the reformer. Essentially type ones are about perfection and goodness. And so they believe there's a good way and a bad way. They're pretty binary in their thinking. They're always trying to improve or perfect themselves and everything around them. They're also called idealists sometimes. And so ones bring order and structure and they're wonderful in chaotic environments because they'll come kind of carve it up for you and say, okay, here's what we've got to do. Here's our plan in terms of organizing everything. The type two is often called the helper. I think of twos as the warm and fuzzy type. That's what I call them. They're like, typically speaking, very affectionate, loving, generous with their time. And they're generous with their... And twos are wonderful at putting others' needs first. They have a harder time including themselves in that caring. And so can get a little bit frustrated when people aren't appreciating for all, them for all they're doing but they feel good to be around often. Our type, the three, sometimes called the achiever, the performer. And I've kind of talked a little bit about the three, but we're wired to avoid failure. We're wired to be respected. So we're really focused on how others think of us, unfortunately. (laughs) I wish it weren't so. And we want to produce results. And so we tend to work hard all the time, hustle, you know, we're, we're the hustlers typically. Definitely. Yeah. I often say, I'm like, okay, I need to stop hustling just for one second. And type fours are called the individualists. They're also very artistic, creative. They want to be unique and special. They tend to feel their emotions most intensely out of all of the personality types. They're heart center types. They're also, they want to feel deeply and they have a really unique perspective and sense of beauty and mastery. Type fives are called the investigators. And like the four that goes deep into their emotions, the five goes deep into their head. And so they are incredibly intellectually curious. They want to understand how everything works in a single domain, typically. So a lot of fives I work with tend to be engineers or physicians or researchers where they say, the world's a scary place. And the only way that I will feel safe is if I know everything about this one thing. So they're really interesting people. Um, Type sixes tend to be marked by self-doubt. They look to the future and it shows up a lot like they're being hyper-responsible, but they will tend to kind of ask a lot of questions, second-guess their decision-making, prepare for worst-case scenarios, 
when often, you know, those things don't ever happen, but it's really great to have a six around because I'll make sure everything's going to be fine no matter what. Love it. <laughs> yeah. Type sevens are about the future and creating vision and possibility. They're sometimes called the enthusiast. I don't really like using the labels because not all of the types connect with the labels, but they're enthusiastic. They tend to be very charismatic and visionary. I call them the yes people. They don't like being constrained and told no. And they tend to be really enlivening to be around, but they also can be quite scattered and lose focus. So the other types have to kind of balance them out a bit. Type eights are about power and strength. And sometimes they're called the challengers. I work with a lot of eights. They can be incredibly effective in um, leadership positions or on teams when they have um, kind of matured through some of their like innate need to control everything and everybody. When they can kind of relax that a little bit and start giving away some of their natural power, they're incredibly effective and wonderful to be around. And then type nines are all about harmony and peace and comfort and making sure that everybody's voice is included at the table. Whereas types like the three and the eight are like, let's go fast. Mm -hmm. The nines say, slow down. We haven't heard from so-and-so and so-and-so. And I want to make sure that there's harmony in the group before we take action. So nines are also not as warm and fuzzy on the outside as a two might be, but also bring a ton of warmth and kind of calmness and kindness to the whole system. And so they're also a wonderful type to have on a team. All the types are great. There's no good type or bad type. Everybody asks me that. Really the name of the game, whatever your type is, is simply about how mature you are and or how aware of yourself you are. Mm -hmm. That's the goal for all of us, right? And can someone be like a little mix of two different types? Great. Yeah. So not, so I would say when we're learning the Enneagram, it's most helpful just to focus on your primary type because there's so much to learn there. That said, there's something called the wings, which is the type on either side of you on the Enneagram symbol. So I'm just going to pick on us as threes. We would potentially have a wing of a two or a four. And this is not something a survey will tell you. It's something that you kind of have to go do some reflection on, but it kind of feels like the second side of your personality that under certain circumstances that might come out. So mm -hmm. I have a really strong two wing where in certain circumstances, I'll kind of be underneath all of it. I'm operating on a three kind of mindset, but in other circumstances, I might really lean heavily and into my two wing and show up as a two for the most part, at least in the beginning. Mm -hmm. So all of us might have a wing. Some people feel like they have two wings. Some people feel like they don't. There's another thing called the wings and arrows. And so again, if you look at the Enneagram symbol, and we can link to it in the show notes, I have a lot of these resources on my website. Mm -hmm. So you can see the symbol. Um, there's a line going into and out of each of the types. And that reflects where we can go when we're under stress or when we're feeling really conscious and secure. So for example, like a three under stress can do... I like to think they go, we can go in both directions, but the instinct typically is that first we do our like, hurry up, get out of my way, abrupt thing. And then we travel along our arrow line to the nine. So we don't become a nine, but we take on some of those behaviors where suddenly we just go, I want to not feel any of my feelings. I want to numb out because it's too much. It's too overwhelming. I'm too stressed out. <laughs> so my favorite version is like, have a glass of wine. 
mm-hmm. get on the couch and like tell everybody to leave me alone. I need alone time. I want to go in my cave. That's mm-hmm. how I decompress. And then I can reemerge again. And so if you look at the simple, there's, I'll, I'll speak to the positive by the way too, which is that, you know, threes tend to be a little self-oriented if we're trying to be concerned about our own success especially when we're younger and we can travel to the the six along that line and become more team oriented and go, I'm willing to sacrifice my own reputation, not reputation, but my own accolades in service of the team being well and safe and secure. Mm-hmm. That's like a healthy move for a three. And that's true for all the types. We can move along the arrow lines in both directions, actually. So it's common for people to feel like they have more than one type inside of them depending on the circumstance. As you're learning the Enneagram, I'd say start with your primary type. Just get to know that really, really well, which will take you know years, quite frankly. And that will serve you the best. It can be a little distracting if you try to do too much too soon. Like threes tend to do. Yeah. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. Right. Dang it. And I know there's no bad type, but if you are a certain type, is there another type that you might like not get along with as well or butt heads more with like it just makes me kind of think of like my husband's an Aries and I'm a Cancer and in every book about horoscopes they say like Aries and Cancer should not be in a relationship together so is it is there anything like that I mean it's not as simple yeah so a couple things I wanted to say it's so funny because you're like a lot of people will say oh is this like horoscopes Mm -hmm. it's a little bit different Mm -hmm. so it's not as prescriptive I would say like do this or don't do that. I wish it were that easy. There are types that I used to, and I'll just, you know, say from my own experience, there are types I just could not stand when I was 25 years old and they would rub me the wrong way. And they would just every little thing. I was like, ah, and I was just, you know, irritable. I've learned to soften a lot of those irritants and be a lot more accepting of all these things. Now I'm 40 in a month. And so I don't believe that there's types that just are better for you than others. I really do think it's about how self-aware both parties are because you could be any type and be annoying to like everybody if you have no self-awareness. But if you're aware of yourself to a moderate degree and you can regulate a little bit, like when you're stressed, you're not just flying off the handle and screaming, you know, at people. If you can regulate those big emotions, you're probably going to be fine with whomever. I do think there are like anecdotal patterns where these types tend to get along well, but it's, I could not say. Mm -hmm. There's some really interesting stuff though on the Enneagram Institute's website about the types in relationship with other types. So I think that's super fun to go like, well, what's a three and a six like, or how do threes and sevens get along, you know? Mm -hmm. And if we had more time, I could probably tell you every combination, like what would be good about that combo and then where you might get in trouble. Do you know what your husband's type is? I don't, unfortunately. (laughs) That'll be the next one. Yeah. We'll figure it out. So yeah, that's how I like to use it. I don't say like you will never work with this personality type because you'll have to work with and get along with all of them. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of more of like, if you know the person you're working with is a type one and you're this type, here are things that you can do to make working together more smoothly kind of situation. Okay, great. Exactly. Exactly. Now, is there like a minimum age that you have to be in order for the Enneagrams to apply? You know, I am of the belief that to use a survey on young people is probably not great. I have colleagues that disagree with me on this. We talk about it a lot. Mm -hmm. 
And the reason I believe what I think about this is that, you know, kids are still trying to figure themselves out. And a lot of our childhood is a reflection of our environment. And so it's really hard to say if how they're taking a survey is just, you know, mirroring back what they think they should be saying or like who they actually are. We don't really know until psychologists call it individuate. And that happens around 25 for most of us. Well, that sounds late. I'm surprised. Yeah. So it's like when we start, and for some people, by the way, that doesn't happen until like 45. I, I don't think you should wait that long. Oh, wow. But it's essentially where you start to discover who you are as an independent being, not as just as a reflection of so-and-so's kid. Mm-hmm. So I think that using the Enneagram as a system for learning about yourself and going, you know, I think it's fine to share with a teenager, here are the nine types. What do you see about yourself? Where are you drawn and what could we learn? That I think is great because it's all in the spirit of teaching and development. Where people get into trouble, I think what I get concerned about is they can box a, a kid in and say, oh, you're a type one. And then the child stops learning about themselves gotcha. or takes certain things to be truth that might not be true. And it limits their growth in a, in a way. Mm-hmm. I'd rather leave that open for them to explore and you know discover over time. Right. Personally speaking. Yeah. So that it makes sense that would your environment plays a big part. Like I imagine a child who is growing up in a kind of household where they're more of the parent than anything, like they're making sure their mom takes their medication or whatever, or even helping to raise their younger siblings. I'm sure that those children develop a self-awareness sooner. Yeah. Than someone else who's just kind of like going along with whatever the parents are are saying or doing. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. And I think part of the work when we, by the time people come to me and you want to use the Enneagram, there's a lot of unlearning we have to do around how much of your, the type you think you are, your personality is actually just a product of the ways that you've learned to cope in your life. Mm-hmm. It's called an overlay. And so we have to peel back these overlays. So for example, women in the US are trained to be certain ways. Right. And so some a lot of women will go, God, I'm a two. I'm like, are you? Or did you just learn to be that way? Because that's how we're taught, you know, good girls are. Right. Right. Just to call it out. There's training we all get socialized around based on our gender, um, our geography, our parents, our culture, our race. All of those things are not necessarily who we are at our core. And so, I mean, that's the beauty of the Enneagram, because we get to use it as a way of understanding like what's my response to my environment? And then what might be underneath that that's really more reflective of my real self? Mm-hmm. It's just, it's a beautiful exploration for young adults into adulthood. It's a really beautiful way. It feels very supportive for me mm-hmm. to take someone through that process because it's not saying the things you learned and picked up to survive your environment, which we all have, are bad. Like those were necessary. And there may be more to you than just that. Right. Yeah. And that makes sense. And it it kind of ties back into like breaking generational trauma and those things like how much of how you respond to stress in your environment is because of your generational trauma or childhood trauma. And how much is it that's actually what your personality wants to do or does? There's a really great new book, by the way, out just came out on the Enneagram and trauma. In fact, I have it right here and it's called Reclaiming You. Hmm. And one of the big takeaways for me, because I, I mean, I work with a lot of folks that have been through trauma and 
people ask me this question, does trauma change your Enneagram type? Or does it, you know, affect the way you go into typing? And what they have discovered, and I've come to like really understand trauma itself doesn't change your personality. It changes how you express it for sure. So, you know, just in case someone's wondering, like, how does that impact the Enneagram itself? Of course, it impacts us as human beings deeply. But it doesn't mean like I was a two one day and then I went through a traumatic experience and suddenly I'm an eight. I might be in a highly stressed state and showing up as an eight, but I'm not actually, I haven't changed my personality structure. But that book's a really beautiful resource, by the way, for folks that are curious about that topic. Yeah, I'm definitely going to add it to my you know, thousand book list of books (laughs) I need to read. I know. I'm not endorsed. I mean, like they're not paying me to say this. I just really like it. And I love it really timely right now. Mm -hmm. So if you, I know you've talked a lot about how it could help in like the workplace in hospital settings, but going back to just parenting, Mm -hmm. right? If you are a parent, maybe you're a stay-at-home parent, maybe you're not. How does knowing what type you are help you in your parenting process? Yeah. So I think it's actually pretty profound. I'll say I was raised by a type six. I was raised, but I think she's a type seven and I was raised by a three. I'm a three. I have seen how all of these things have shown up in the house for my whole life. And now through this lens, and then also as a parent to a three and a five-year-old, I'll give you an example. So like on a weekend, okay. Which are the most stressful times for me. Saturdays are like the worst. (laughs) I mean, it's like, I'm being super real with you. Saturday mornings are my like least favorite time of the week as a parent because there's no structure and everybody's tired from the week and we just wake up and we're all kind of like, you know, wild and we need something to do. Well, my threeness, my three self says in order to be effective or successful or productive today, we've got to get stuff done. Okay. So that might mean... I'm not going to be relaxed and calm until I've cleaned the whole house Mm -hmm. or I've taken the kids on like three different outings (laughs) or I've actually gotten them to brush their teeth and brush their hair. Oh my God. You know, before we go and see friends. So I realized that it has a huge impact on how I parent because I put the pressure on the kids that I'm feeling inside to produce, produce, get stuff done. Whereas I I don't have it typed my children. I'm not going to do that. But I have an older one who tends to be like much more in her own space. Like she could literally hang out at the house for eight hours doing creative art and whatever and be very happy. And I realize if I'm not conscious, my personality instinct will be to push her and get her to do stuff where she's like, mom, like, calm down. You're stressing me out. Hmm. Like, yes, I, I can see that. And so like, I just think it's incredibly relevant to anyone parenting or caring for anybody else is that, you know, we don't operate our personality in a silo. Like this is who we are in every space we're in, Mm -hmm. you know, being raised by a six, for example, like there was a lot of concern. Like, do we have enough of all the foods? Do we have all the things ready for all the different activities for the entire week? And I notice I've adopted some of that as a parent, you know, the hypervigilance and things. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's incredibly relevant. This is not a workplace tool. This is helpful for any human being, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that makes sense. I can say, I don't know what type my mother was, but she was so laid back and so flaky and so like, eh, it will work out. Don't worry. You know what I mean? And And it drove me nuts. And I don't understand how 
I have half of her DNA, to be honest, because we're so opposite. And I almost feel like that, that, like you said, like that is what pushed me into being like a type three where it was like, well, we need to get this stuff done. And, and you would just rather go for a walk and have a picnic when like everything at the house looks like it's falling apart. And, and I feel I have my oldest child who is 18. They are more like my mother than me Mm. where they're very chilled and laid back they don't give a crap what anyone thinks about them and i am like so astounded by that (laughs) and i and i tell them all the time like this is my favorite thing about you and this is the thing that i admire about you is that you could care less you walk to your own beat of your own drum and you could care less what people think and i'm always like how do you do that because i am way too into what people think about me I know. And it's nice that I get to celebrate that difference with my oldest, like, Mm -hmm. and say, I admire this about you. I wish I had done that more with my mom growing up. Like, even though you kind of drove me nuts, I admire the fact that, you know, on a random Tuesday afternoon, you would be like, let's go have a picnic at the beach. (laughs) And we would just get up and go and no planning, no foresight. Maybe we would remember the food. Maybe. (laughs) 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 And I, you know, it's in growing up in that, it drove me nuts. But, you know, as, as mothering someone with that type of personality, I'm like, that is so cool that you can just not give a crap about like if you're prepared for whatever and you're just like oh it'll be fine it will work out fine don't worry about it well i mean i totally relate and i you know don't beat yourself up for not like figuring that out as a kid because mm-hmm. like that's our job is to we only know ourselves in reaction to or in contrast to our parents or caregivers so a lot of childhood right is being like oh i don't like that about you and it's just that's mm-hmm. the natural way we individuate mm-hmm. that's how we come to find our own unique thing and it I literally think we have the same mom because yeah. now I go, wow, God, she took us on all these adventures. Yeah. <laughs> like, am I giving my kids adventures? Um, I don't think so. Like not to that degree. It was super fun. Mm-hmm. Now, did I get my homework done? Not really. That <laughs> 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 on my own, you know, I, I always tease her because I was like, she was out taking us, you know, to the mall and I'd be like, mom, I have to go home and do homework. <laughs> she thought I was like a three-headed monster. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Who are you? I know. Who are you? Yeah, yeah my mom would be like, why are you such a nerd? Don't worry yeah. about your homework. I remember the first time I got detention, she took me out to dinner to celebrate. She's no. like, you are a normal teenager. <laughs> <laughs> oh my okay. God, I love that. I love that. I like and that's that. something that kind of drives me nuts with my husband too. Again, I don't know what what personality is, but I am so like, we need to prepare for whatever disaster I can think of in my head. Yeah. And he's always like, it will be fine. Don't worry about it. And I, I get so mad and I'll be like, why is it going to be fine? Because you say it's going to be fine. No, just because you say it's going to be fine. Doesn't mean it's going to be fine. So we need to pretend that it's not going to be fine and be prepared. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Freeze need to be prepared. It's how we feel like we're not going to lose or fail. Hmm. Right. And then, so the, the cool, here's what I'd say, the cool thing. And you said this already in like how you relate to your oldest. For me, I go, gosh, knowing this about ourselves gives us like, we can laugh at ourselves a little bit and go, Hey, husband, maybe you're not like a jerk because you're so laid back. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're actually bringing me calm and peace that I am not generally, I, I told someone else I worked with, I'm like, 
peace. What is peace? Like I'm a three. I don't naturally know what peace feels like inside. I have to work really hard and practice a lot. So I'm not like, you know, crazy hyperproductive. So yeah, it's, I hear you. I hear you. It's a lot, but Enneagram is like for parenting. Enneagram really is such a helpful tool. It's really helpful in marriage, by the way, really helpful in any kind of significant relationship, I think. Now, do Enneagrams, I didn't know that Enneagrams are very like in-depth thing. And like you said, like not like horoscopes and stuff, but I love talking about like love languages. Yeah. Right. So do Enneagrams tie into that at all? Do you know, like, are there certain personality types that have tend to lean towards more of a specific love language? Yeah. I mean, I think you could definitely map it. So for example, like a lot of threes, I know, you know, we like words of affirmation. Because we want people, we need reassurance. Tell me I'm doing a good job. Mm-hmm. Tell me you love me, right? And there's also something we haven't talked about yet, Shelly, which is our subtypes. There's actually 27 personality types. There's Oh my goodness. Yes, which is too much to remember. There's three versions of each of the nine types. And so one of those three versions is called a one-to-one or a sexual, but in the business world, we use the language one-to-one. Just means you like intense connection. So those types that I've met, the one-to-one subtype people, of which I am, we tend to love touch. Like I'll notice, and of course it's like appropriate and with integrity and everything. Right, right. Like I'll be the first to hug you. I'll be the first to be like, hey, it's good to see you. You know, yeah. <laughs> we have no problem if people, most of the time, unless they're creepy, you know, like I'm not worried about people touching my shoulders or something. And, you know, that feels really good to me to feel like I'm closely connected to someone like via the love languages. So I haven't actually done this, but now I'm curious and maybe I should map it. But there's another thing too called, there's a grouping by the this woman named Karen Horney where she grouped them into three triads. And the fours, sixes, and eights are called the emotionally reactive group. And I could imagine those types want to feel touch as a way of feeling safe. Cause they want to feel like you get me, you understand. I'm just kind of making some connections here. There's a dutiful type, the twos, the ones, twos, and sixes. I feel like those types probably are more acts of service, maybe some touch, maybe words of affirmation, maybe quality time, but they're very dutiful. They're like, just keep me around and I'll feel okay. But anyway, that we cut off feelings and we go, I just under stress. Like I want to get things moving and feel like I'm effective. And those types I think could be different depending on, and um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I think we get kind of a mix of many, but this is where the Enneagram can be really fun. Cause there's like the subtypes, there's your wings, we'll change it. So it's not super clear cut, you know, depending on what you do under stress. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool how much it helps you find out about yourself. Like I'm definitely the type of person where if I'm stressed, I'm going to throw myself into my work to try to like, bury my feelings there. And one of the things that the coach is having me do is sit and meditate and feel my feelings. And I yes. hate doing it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to feel my feelings. I just want to get things done and feel good about the things I'm getting done. Yes. Good. Great practice. Mm-hmm. And I'm the same way. Like when you said touch, I love giving hugs. My sister, I don't know what type she is, but she does not. So we'll often just 
touch fingertips. <laughs> but I want to like, <laughs> instead of giving her a hug, because I can feel her like tighten up and shudder when I hug her. We'll just, yeah, she could be maybe tips. like a head ty- head base type, you know, like a five or six where mm-hmm. they're like, no, oh, you just stay right there. I'm good. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Two, threes and fours, we live in the heart center. So we want to be expressive of our feelings. Typically all the threes can cut them off. Mm-hmm. But that really is our happy place is like to feel in connection with other people. And so, yeah, I could imagine we tend to be more touch oriented, words of affirmation oriented, Mm. whereas the other groups might be a little bit different. Yeah. I'm constantly asking my husband, like, do you love me? Are you sure you love me? How do I know you're telling the truth though? Like you're telling me, but I don't believe you. Yeah. And it drives him nuts. And he's just like, I don't know what to say to you anymore. (laughs) There's a great, great, I'm not an expert in this, but there's a great body of work around attachment styles in relationship. And I'm sure that would be another interesting thing to map with the Enneagram is your personality type and your attachment style Mm -hmm. and how those intersect and how that shows up at like in any situation at work or otherwise. Yeah. I love that because I know when I'm working, I do like sleep consults too with parents as a sleep coach. And one of the things that we'll do is kind of figure out what their attachment style is like. And then we go over their baby's temperament and try to match those to the type of sleep, gentle sleep shaping strategies that we can do that would be most effective for them and their baby. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. One of the people that helped me the most as a new mom was my sleep coach. Nice. (sighs) (laughs) And so you might actually, this is great. So you would know, I often will tell the story, like when babies come out, they have a way about them and they're all unique. And that often is their personality type at play. And then it, you know, by the time you really get to know them, you're like, oh yeah, you're the exact same way as when you came out of the womb. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so fascinating to me. You get to see it firsthand. That's so cool. Yeah. I hear a lot of parents say, you know, if I'm working with an older baby, I'll say, oh, she seems to have great leadership skills. Usually it's the babies who like scream at everything. I'm like, leadership skills. That's what you have to tell yourself. Your baby has leadership (laughs) skills. And they'll always be like, you know what? Yes. And she's been that way since birth. Yeah. Been that way since birth. Yep. Hmm. And then as they get older, I bet you, you go and track their Enneagram type and it would all make sense. Mm -hmm. Like sometimes it's hard to understand what things mean in the moment, but we can look over time and go, oh, okay, now I get it. Right. You know? Yeah. So cool. So cool. I totally geek out about, and I would probably (laughs) fall down a rabbit hole and resurface eight hours later. (laughs) Yes. Yes. If I have a problem in my life, I just throw books at it and research at it until it goes away. Same. Same. That is me. I'm like, I literally have, you can't see it, but I have like loads of books hanging above my head all around me. It's like how I feel secure Mm -hmm. and happy. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. So I imagine like if you're if you're a new parent and we're not going to try to like type our kids or anything like that. Yeah. But if you know how you react to certain things in your environment and how you react when you're stressed, I imagine that can help you mm-hmm. navigate parenting, especially when it comes to things like discipline and, and things like that. Completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think there's such important work for all all of us as parents to learn to really be aware of our stress reactions and be mindful in those moments. Parenting in modern day is so insanely stressful. I don't care how many resources you have. Mm -hmm. And knowing, for example, if you're an eight, that your instinct is to try to control and dominate and shut down something that's happening. That's good to know because your kid is probably going to be like, oh my God, 
what's this intensity coming at me? Or if your instinct is to disconnect and check out, that's also really good because that's also not great for our kids. None of these stress reactions are great for our kids' development, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. So being conscious of that helps us move into a more effective and supportive way of like discipline, for example, but also not cutting off the connection with our child, right? which our stress would have us do mm-hmm. right? in different ways, depending on how we're wired. So I really think that if there's one thing parents took away from the Enneagram is understanding what are those habitual ways that I react under stress based on my personality type and what are other ways of getting my needs met in those moments so that I don't behave in a way that I'm going to regret later or that's going to cause harm or that will affect my relationship with my family. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned like, how can you get your needs met? Because it's it's going to be different for every personality type. And that's something that I coach families on all the time. Like babies are co-regulators. They cannot bring themselves down on a fight or flight alone. They just don't have the brain development. They need you to help. And if you're not regulated because you're so busy trying to control everything and let's get real, when you have a baby, you don't have control. 90% of the things you do not have control, especially when they're babies, right? I learned even trying to get pregnant, you don't have control. Yes. Yes. It's like parenthood. Early parenthood is a crash course and not having control over anything. (laughs) Birth, birth. You don't really have control control over Like you can do things and you can have a birth plan, but in the end, you don't really have control over it. And if you're struggling because you're stressed out because you're trying to like, these are the parents that I see. And I'm not bashing certain types of parents or anything like that. This is just something that I see parents struggling with the parents who want to have their baby on a strict schedule on a strict routine. And I'm talking young babies, like under three months. And they're like, how do I get my baby on a routine? Well, your baby's two months old. That's It's just not going to happen. So instead of trying to force your baby to do something that's not really biologically natural to them, how can we help you work around the fact that you're not going to have a routine for a while and help you accept that and still be as you know, have as little stress as you can when you're a parent, not going to say stress-free because that's ridiculous. I think that's such an important thing. And you're making me remember, like that was my big struggle as a three new mom going, I don't have any control over my schedule. Threes are obsessed with time. So I'm not in control of my time and I can't do the things that I think I'm supposed to be doing to be productive. Mm -hmm. So that just drove me crazy as a three. Yeah. And I had to learn, like there's, there's ways that I could get those needs met, including getting someone to help me. So I could have an hour to go be productive, even if that meant like take a shower, you know, Mm -hmm. but I completely agree with everything you're saying. And I'm like, just remembering those first three months are so beautiful and so intense. And Mm -hmm. like, if you didn't have self-awareness before, they sure will make you in your face. Like there's all your ways. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so many things that I remember struggling with, like when my kids were toddlers or, you know, young, maybe a little older than toddlers, I'd be like, put on your shoes. Right. But because in my mind, I'm like, and I always say like, time is money. I'm one of those annoying people. (laughs) (laughs) And I wouldn't let them put on their shoes by themselves because I would get so, they were taking so long and I'm like, we got to go. So let me just put them on. 
it was my my kids did not learn how to tie their own shoes until much later than other kids their age because I just kept doing it for them because it was just easier for me if I just threw their shoes on and tied them and we could go. And it, and it was like my husband and my mom, actually, who was just like, you need to relax. And I was like, I don't know how. And my mom was actually, well, like, why don't you ask them to start putting on their shoes 15 minutes before you normally, you know, instead of asking them to put on their shoes 10 minutes before you're going to leave, ask them to put on their shoes 20 minutes before you're going to leave. And that way they can take their time and you don't have to get stressed out. Did it work? It did work. Okay. I'm like, that's, I'm at that stage. I need, they're learning right now. Like I should do that 30 minutes before it takes us 20 minutes to get out the darn door. Yeah. Yeah. Gone are the days where you can just pick up your purse and walk out. Right. Now it's it's production. (laughs) (laughs) And then like even driving somewhere with the kids, I put the GPS on because it will tell me the fastest way to get there. Yeah. And my husband's like, let's drive by the farm so they can look at the goats. And I'm like, no, that's like five minutes out of the way. It's five minutes, right? It's five minutes. What are we going to get to the zoo five minutes later? Who cares? But in my head, I'm like, we got to get there. We got to get there. I mean, I know. So Mm -hmm. this is like exactly like what you're saying. I have like a little trick for myself now where I'm like, oh, look how cute. (laughs) (laughs) Look at my freeness again. There it is again. You know, like laugh at myself. Because like some days you might want to go see the goats. Mm -hmm. You might want to tell like your personality just to be quiet for a minute and relax and calm down. Like everything's fine. Yeah. I don't want us to judge ourselves or like there's no shame, but let's be playful. And, you know, these are predictable. We now the more we learn about our type, like, oh, it's so predictable what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. If you can laugh at yourself, I think that's key. Like just laugh at yourself, you know? Exactly. I saw this comedy skit recently that I was I so related to because it was about taking your kids to the park. Mm. And so she's like, you know, you go to the park and here's the thing about the park. There is nothing for you to do. Like <laughs> they know adults are going to be at the park, but they don't put anything there for adults to do. And I remember feeling that way whenever I took my, I hated taking my kids to the park. And sometimes I would bring work with me to do while they run and play. But, you know, sometimes, you know, the parks near us, we didn't have great internet connection. We didn't have great signal. So I couldn't like do work. I would go like out of my mind with boredom because I was just sitting there and I'm like, I don't like this. I want to be doing something. Oh my gosh. I know. I relate. Mm -hmm. Hard for us. That's the work of the three is just to like be that we're not wired that way. Mm -hmm. Right. But ultimately that's probably what we want to learn to create some capacity around as parents. Mm -hmm. Learn how to just like be in the present moment with our children. What a concept, you know, mm-hmm. other types are like, you guys sound crazy. I'm like, yes, we are crazy. Yeah. <laughs> we all have our own flavor of it. You know, every, yeah. every human being has their own flavor. So that's one of the reasons I love it is, yeah, we can laugh about it. Mm-hmm. And I imagine that knowing your type too, and, and doing that introspective self assessment mm-hmm. can help you, you know, if you're in the parenting journey where you're, you're pregnant, how am I going to react to having to get up every two to three hours to feed the baby overnight? Or how am I going to react when my baby starts daycare? Am I going to try to control everything the daycare provider is? Am I going to be like too flaky about it and keep forgetting to send in the kids lunch or whatever? You know, I imagine it could help with that too. Yep, absolutely. I mean, at every stage of the parenting journey, we're kind of confronted with ourselves. 
right? It's like trying to get pregnant. Oh my God. You know, and then realizing, oh, this is a lot harder than I thought it would be. And then getting pregnant and you're like, oh my God. And now I feel, oh, I wasn't expecting to feel all these things, by the way, you know, like, oh my gosh, pregnancy is not so lovely all the time. Mm-hmm. And then at every stage, you're kind of, you get to meet a new version of yourself and it helps us mature. I mean, I, I honestly think the first like two years of parenthood for me softened a lot of these, you know, I call them like these ego responses of my threeness. It forced me to chill out. It absolutely like, forced me because I couldn't get by with that as my only tool anymore. Because it's just not, you know, it's just not mm-hmm. how it goes. My kid was like, no, I'm sorry. This is what we're doing today. I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Just gonna sit here, you know, like cluster feeding, by the way, while nursing was like my nemesis because they both mm-hmm. cluster fed. And it would be like, okay, I guess I'm gonna sit on this couch. For 14 hours in a row. Mm. That is the worst thing for my personality type. I remember my husband coming home after a cluster feeding day and I was like sobbing. Yeah. And he's like, oh my gosh, what's wrong? And I was like, I got nothing done today. (laughs) Nothing, nothing. And you know, I was a stay-at-home mom. So nothing that meant like the dishes in the laundry weren't done. And he was kind of like, well, you did. You, You fed our child. And I'm like, but the dish is not. And he's like, so what? And I couldn't, I felt like, so you don't understand me. Cause what do you mean? So what? And of course, like he was right. I I wasn't right. Like who cares that the dishes didn't get done, but I always sympathize because people tell family all the time, sleep when the baby sleeps. Right. Yeah. That's not, it's not, it's not realistic for so many people, but especially if you do have the personality where you're like, I got to get things done. You're not, you can try to lay down and sleep when the baby sleeps, but your mind's just going to be racing with all, you know, the dishes need to be done, the laundry needs done. I need to do this and I need to do this. And yeah. even if you do rest, it's not going to be restful. I know it's true. You know, and it's like all of the personality types struggle in one way or another. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't go through them all. We're just talking about the three today, but like a type seven wants freedom. Can you imagine freedom with a newborn? That ain't happening. Nope. Right. And so like all of us can be driven to the edge of rage and emotion. And so knowing what those triggers are and then finding ways to support yourself and get your needs met is critical because the needs are valid and important. You need to get the needs met, but also recognize that it's going to look very different at different stages of parenthood. Mm -hmm. That was really hard for me to kind of learn in the beginning. Yeah. I also struggled a lot with knowing what is normal teen behavior Mm -hmm. because when I was a teenage, I mean, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. I got straight A's. I did all these extracurricular activities. And and then my kids are just, my 18-year-old still doesn't have their driver's license, which to me, I cannot wrap my brain around because I was like, that was my way to go out and do even more things. I didn't have to wait for a ride. And they're like, eh, I can live without my license. I do, that To me, that just blows my mind. It blows my mind. And there are some things like if one of the kids gets an F on their report card and I'm freaking out because for me, I was all about getting straight A's. And it, it takes my husband having to say like, you know, that's, it's okay. A lot of kids get a lot of grades with normal teenage behavior. Yep. And it's not, it doesn't mean that, or if I find out that my kids skip school, oh my gosh, are they going to end up in a jail because they just live, live a life of crime because they're not going to, oh my God. My husband's like, what is wrong with you? Most kids skip school. Didn't you ever skip school? I'm like, never. 
Never. Never. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, we all do this, right? As parents, we like, and I say we do this as human beings. We take our personality needs and ways of thinking and we put them on everybody else. We project them onto like, you should think like me. You should behave like me. Mm-hmm. And the Enneagram says there's actually nine super different ways of thinking and behaving, and they're all valid. Uh, mm-hmm. Nine, actually 27, but you know, we'll stick with nine right now. Right. And that takes a lot for us to realize because, like, we all do this. Why doesn't everybody work at my pace? Right. Why doesn't everybody kind of think about being effective in the way that I do? Why, you know, it's just, I really get what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure if your kid is doing something that's very triggering to you, like you said, that's when you can stop and remember they're just thinking about it in a different way, in one of the other ways. And it's not good. It's not bad. It just is. Right. And you just need to keep that perspective in mind. But you can't do that unless you have that self-awareness. Yeah, exactly. And you know, and you can use a tool like the Enneagram not to like label them or say, oh, it's because you're a blank type. So like use it to ask questions. Oh, I'm coming in thinking this is the most important thing. What do you think is important here? Mm. What a powerful way to relate to our kids. So asking questions versus I'm going to tell you and assume I know from my own perspective. Right. You know, so I think that's really cool. And so you don't even need, this is why I say you don't even need to know the type of your children or your spouse or whatever. You can ask certain questions that get at why they are seeing things, why they are motivated the way they are and why they're doing things that you just can't understand, mm-hmm. you know? And so there's some really cool language in there that we can pull from, but I like that way of looking. It's like, how do I use this for inquiry instead of judgment? Yeah. That's a really cool concept. Well, a lot less frustrated, you know? And is that something you do with your kids? You said your kids are three and five. Yeah, they're three and five. So they're little, like I'm not, I'm in a particular, like they're not teenagers yet where I'm sure it's going to be a hot mess. Mm-hmm. They're they're their own version of that, but they're amazing. Yeah, mostly I just my way is to ask them questions. And then I just have this kind of, you know, I have the Enneagram like in the background all the time. And so I can go, oh, okay, well, you know, right now they really are in their feelings and they need to like really get these feelings out. And I need to be empathetic about that. Mm-hmm. The hard thing with kids too, is that they're at different developmental levels. So it's hard to say like, oh, they're a body type or they're a head type or they're a heart type. Cause it depends on where they are developmentally, right? right? When they're younger, they're all body types. Cause that's all they have mm-hmm. is like their primal brain. But, you know, it's just, it's neat to like keep that open question. And then I can go, oh, wow, she's really feeling super curious intellectually right now. Let's just go down that path. You want to go to the library? Like, let's talk about science. These are not like, I'm not a scientist, you know, but like it helps me meet her better where she's at versus cut her off and go, you need to be more like me. Right. So love it. Yeah. For what it's worth. So I think this is really cool. Any parenting tool or tool in general that we can use to help with the home environment and our parenting journey is amazing. Where can people connect with you if they want to learn more? Yes, thank you. So I have two different places people can connect with me. If they want to learn more about the Enneagram and coaching, you can find me at evolution.team. This is where I do all my coaching and Enneagram work. If you want resources, I've written a ton of blogs. I have products around the Enneagram and I've written some books on burnout. 
And that's at ourwholenessatwork.com. If you just Google wholeness at work, you can find me and my name. And so one's like a librarian shop. And then one is for me, the human being, if you want to talk or learn more about how we use Enneagram with real life people. Great. And I'll put the links to those in the show notes. Are you on social media as well? I am. Absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all of those handles we can add in. I will say... For parents, one of the things, if I can just show you real quick, mm-hmm. I just created a card deck recently. Speaking of stress and parenthood, it's called the Enneagram and Burnout Card Deck. And I'm really excited about it because I spent a lot of time designing specific practices to help each type under stress. So knowing you're a three, there's specific things for you to do on four different dimensions, but we have them for all the types. Even if you don't know your type, it's still super helpful. They all are great practices. So some are mindfulness, some are physical, some are spiritual, some are emotional. And that can also be found on my website. Love it. And I love the design on the <laughs> Right? Isn't it? It's like a mom hugging yeah. herself. Oh, that's so I'm a big fan of self-compassion work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So wholeness at work. Great. And then evolution. It's my team. That's where we do all of our Enneagram coaching. Perfect. Thank you so much again, Erin. Thank you, Shelly. It was super fun talking to you. Be well. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaftIBCLC.com, where you can check out more options for support through pregnancy and beyond, including the Baby Pro Bistro, our parenting community. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaftIBCLC on Instagram. If you love the show, please leave us a rating or review on iTunes to help our episodes reach more parents like you. Thanks for listening.